0: reading from the holy gospel according to john the first chapter when jesus saw nathanael coming toward him he said here is a true descendant of our ancestor israel and he isn't deceitful how do you know me nathanael asked jesus answered before philip called you i saw you under the fig tree nathanael said rabbi you are the son of god and the king of israel jesus answered did you believe me just because i saw them I said that I saw you under the fig tree. You will see something even greater. I tell you for certain, you will see heaven open and God's angels going up and coming down from the silent land. a lot to get settled. <laughs> well I am Pastor Mia and I am delighted to have you here whether you are joining in person or online. Today we, we, we conclude our sermon series on banned books of the Bible and this was prompted by Nampa School Board banning about two dozen books. And book banning really is about silencing ideas or language and the schools it's good for them to restrict offensive language It would be nice if they would also work on people flying the flags with the f-word, you know for kids to see And it is a good and appropriate for schools to restrict sexually explicit content and yet It's also about silencing ideas and some of those books that they ban did not have offensive language or sexually explicit content. And banning books has happened even with the Bible. Luther did it, got rid of some books. Some of the things that Luther banned stuck, and they are still not part of our Bible. But you don't have to ban books in order to silence ideas. You can edit. You can change a word here and there. Small changes with little words and have powerful effect on meaning a couple years ago there was a big controversy when the texas board of education changed a few words in their textbooks when they referred to enslaved peoples as immigrants or workers well that's really different immigrants bring themselves slaves are kidnapped workers are paid slaves our soul words matter so let's talk about words in translation our Bible was written in ancient Greek and ancient Hebrew and many words if you know if you know another language they do not have direct obvious translations a great example is the ancient Greek word parthenos which in English can mean maiden or it can mean virgin. So in English, maiden is an unmarried woman, and a virgin refers to a person's sexual background. So when Mary was called Parthenos, the translators had to make a choice, and they chose virgin. Translators have to make choices all the time when things are not obvious. Sometimes they have to make choices just because things are set differently. If you know Spanish, the way you ask a person how old they are in Spanish is cuantos años tienes, which literally means how many years do you have. In Spanish, if you want to say the weather is nice, you say hace bien tiempo, which literally means it makes good weather. So a translator has to choose, do they say the weather is nice or do they say it makes good weather? look at some of these translation choices in the Bible prepositions are especially tricky in translations they are so different in different languages in Paul's letter to the Romans chapter 16 verse 7 Paul is offering greetings to different folks in Rome this is at the end of the letter and he's saying he's mentioning all these people that he knew and one of them is Junia which is a woman's name and he called her prominent or well-known and the apostles, the Greek word N. It could be translated in, or among, or to, and each of those changes the meaning. In the New Revised Standard Version, the translation is that she was prominent among the apostles. In the English Standard Version, she was well-known To the Apostles. Well if she's well known to the Apostles that means she's not an Apostle. If she is prominent among the Apostles then she was an Apostle. So that one little word changes the meaning and words matter because if she wasn't an Apostle you know then women in ministry that's kind of a modern new maybe a little weird thing But if she was an apostle, then women in ministry is as old as the church. And so it affects us, it changes us. Here's another preposition. So it's really not a preposition. In English, we only use prepositions, and word order matters. You can't just take English words and throw them in any order. You know, you have to have them in the right order for it to make sense. In Greek, often, instead of using a preposition, they used an ending, a suffix, on the word. And then word order didn't matter because you're just matching cases to find out how they go together. So in Romans chapter 3, verse 22, Paul is talking about salvation. How is it that we are righteous before God? And he says, That we we receive the righteousness of God through faith in, in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So this is one of those where there is no preposition in, it's an ending. And it's a genitive for those of you who are language geeks. And if you are a language geek, you know that genitive is almost always translated of its possession. Like love of God or car of Alan's, Alan's car. So if we we use of instead of in, then we receive the righteousness of God through the faith of Jesus Christ for all who believe. Well that's different and we're talking about salvation now. Is our salvation now because of our faith in Jesus or is it because of the faith of Jesus? On all of our behalf. That changes the meaning a lot. In the New International Version it's faith in Jesus Christ. In the New Revised Standard Version it is faith of Jesus Christ. Words matter. How about the word you? In English we have one you. In many other languages, they have a lot of different U's. If you've studied Spanish or French or many other languages, there's a U that you use with someone that you are is known is familiar to you, you know, someone you know. Then there's a you you use with somebody, you know, who you don't know very well, a formal you. There's a you that you means one person, you're talking to one person, and then there's a you that means you're talking to a group of people, a whole lot of people. The truth is, English had all of those different yous back in the days of thou and thee and ye, but those are gone. Now we just have you. You could argue we have you all, as, you know, folks use in the South, but that rarely makes it into writing, and we're dealing with writing. And so those differences can change meaning, like today's gospel that Deb shared with us. Jesus had just called Nathaniel. And he's talking to him in that you singular. Nathaniel, did you believe me? Just because I saw you under the fig tree, you will see something even greater. And then Jesus shifts to you plural. I tell you for certain, you will see heaven open and God's angels going up and coming down on the Son of Man. Jesus had made a shift from Nathanael to all the disciples, all the disciples. The disciples that were there in person, the disciples that heard these words through media, which at the time of that time was writing, which means that's us, that you Jesus is talking to. Now you might think that distinction is not big and maybe it's not. But I have noticed that it is often the subtle things that carry the most meaning. When my kids went through driver's ed, the number one most important thing about driving was never said, which is what side of the road to drive on. If Jesus was only talking to Nathaniel, well, that's a nice story about Nathaniel, and you know, what happened 2,000 years ago. But if Jesus is talking to all the disciples, that means that message is for us, and it affects us today. Words matter. And then there are, there are in translation, there are individual words, like, you know, we talked about Parthenos, but then there are words that are very unique. Paul used the word arsenokoitai, twice. Once in 1 Corinthians 6.9 and once in 1, 1 Timothy one ten, and it is the only place that it ever appears in the New Testament. In fact it's the only place it ever occurs in any ancient Greek writing. So what does it mean? I mean the way that translators figure out how words mean is looking at how they're used. We have two examples is all. So was it a Was it an everyday word that everyone knew what it means, but you never write it, you never use it in writing? Like the word ain't? We all know what ain't means, but we don't put it in our letters. Or was it a word that Paul made up to try to communicate something? It's a compound word. So it actually has the word male and bed stuck together. So does it mean beds for men? Does it mean men sharing beds? Or is it one of those nonsense compound words like we have, like strawberry, which is not a berry of straw? Or hogwash, which is not about cleaning pigs? So Paul used Paul used this word, coitai, in a long list of immoral behaviors with words that were familiar idolaters, adulterers, thieves, drunkards, enslavers. Translators decided that Garcino Koikai meant male homosexuals. In the New International Version, it's translated as those practicing homosexuality. In the Wesley New Revised Standard Version, it's translated sodomite. And right there, I want to back up the train about that word sodomite. Because in English, it means those practicing homosexuality. And it means people from Sodom. It comes from that story about Sodom in Genesis chapter 19, where God destroyed the city because of their wickedness. God had sent two angels to Sodom. And they were going to spend the night there. They were going to sleep in the city square, which was common. And Lot... Abraham's uncle Abraham's cousin, I'm sorry said no come to my house and Lot fed them dinner and gave them a place to stay That was some good hospitality right there And then in the evening the men of Sodom came pounding on the door Where are the men who came with you who came to you tonight bring them out to us so that we may have sex with them Lot refused to send his daughters out, his virgin daughters. And Lot said to them, Do to them as you please, only do nothing to these men. And the next day, God destroyed Sodom. Rained down fire on Sodom. So what was the sin of Sodom? Was it homosexuality? Was it gang rape? Was it throwing your daughters to a mob? Or was it about hospitality? In the Old Testament, after loyalty to God, the next most important virtue was hospitality. The prophet Ezekiel said, This was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy. So what was the sin of Sodom? Somewhere along the line, folks decided it was homosexuality. And thou, that word, Sodomite, that's what it means in English. So back to Paul, and that Greek word, arkeno, arsenopoitai. So translators had to make a choice. They couldn't base it on usage. There was no example. And so they leaned back on their own theology, just like Luther. And so their choice reflects their own beliefs. Words matter. In the end, translating the Bible is not a bias-free endeavor. Translators have their own beliefs and biases. The writers of our scriptures had their own beliefs and biases Listeners, hearers of scripture have our own beliefs and biases, and there are many gray areas in scripture. We have looked at a few, but there are hundreds, there are thousands. And so I think what that means is we do not get to feel certain that we understand. And I wonder if that was God's intent all along. We do not get to feel certain when it comes to God. God used imperfect people to write the scriptures. God used imperfect people to discern the canon, the list of books for the Bible. God used imperfect people to translate our scriptures. And God uses imperfect people to read and hear the scriptures. And yet, and yet God speaks to us in these holy writings they inspire us they take us on a journey to God they they grab a hold of our hearts and they unite us with our ancestors in faith they take us to the grasp of the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus teaches us about God the Father they take us to stormy seas and a little boat being thrown around as Christ our Lord walks across the water. They take us to the foot of the cross as our hearts break and we wonder how we are part of crucifying our Lord. And they take us to the empty tomb where we see the power of God so much greater than anything we could have imagined. And they take us out on a rainy Sunday morning, gathering together, To hear God's word. It is a reminder that we worship God, not the Bible. Our holy scriptures are important for us as they lead us to God. That it is God that is important. In the end, that is what it is all about. About loving and trusting God. That thing that we call faith. And so this week, as you spend time with Scripture, knowing how much meaning there can be in translation, I encourage you to read those footnotes. That's where an awful lot of this is, is in those footnotes. Go down and read those footnotes. And notice how God is inspiring you, imperfect as it is. Noticing your own interpretation. And notice the way that God speaks to you through it all. Amen.